Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and thanks for joining us on Founders and Friends for another awesome podcast. Let's give a quick shout out to the Cruise Consulting accounting team. We're very fortunate. We have a ton of people at Cruise who work on the monthly books for our clients and get them all set up, due diligence ready, rocking every month, answering all the clients' questions, making all those adjustments. And there's no better moment for a founder and for us, really, when the founder says, hey, I think I'm going to get a term sheet. Are my books ready for diligence? And we get to say, yes, they are. Fire away. Send them over. Give them access. That is a great feeling. It's the feeling that lets us know we've done a job very well done. And nothing is better than watching that cash hit the bank account. So if you are a venture-backed startup, you're going out to fundraise, maybe check us out. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. We love what we do. At taping here, I think we have 575 clients. Clients raise over a billion dollars this year. So we know what we're doing. And hopefully we can help you be successful in your fundraise. All right, let's get to the podcast. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise from Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Mark Havkin of Pantheon. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Scott. Good to be here. I'm a fan. Oh, thanks, man. Well, you are a super knowledgeable CFO. And I forget how we were connected, but I think we started just kind of emailing and chatting probably about a year ago. I want to have you on because you have like a really interesting perspective. A lot of the people I interview are early stage founders or early stage professionals. But you're, I'll let the, you introduce yourself, but you're at the later stage. And for a finance professional at the later stage, I thought you could like, shed a lot of light on what you do and how you help the company grow and all that kind of stuff. So do you mind just retracing your career a little bit and letting us know how you got to Pantheon? Yeah, absolutely. We actually met uh, quite a few years ago. I was asking for advice and you were super helpful. Oh, but, yeah, right. so definitely uh, played a little <laughs> bit of a part here. Um, but oh, yeah, uh, quickly um, about my career. So I started in a, a fairly traditional post-undergrad uh, career route. That is typical for people who studied finance, went into Wall Street, did a little bit of uh, portfolio management just right out of school, um, then went to business school, got my CFA somewhere along the way, uh, dreamt about staying on the investment side, had an offer from a, a prominent hedge fund in Boston, but that was 2008. And 2008 was not very welcoming to a newly graduated hedge fund manager. <laughs> only, only if you were like the distressed debt hedge fund or something maybe, like that. Maybe. Maybe. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I left the States. Actually, I really wanted to stay in, in finance. That hedge fund offer obviously blew up in, in June. And I went to uh, Central Europe to work in a private equity firm and did about three years of investing throughout the region, mostly in financial institutions, banks, insurance companies, and things like that. Um, and then about three years later, I kind of realized I wanted to come home to the Bay Area where I grew up, went to Berkeley, had most of my friends, my family is here. So I came back and saw a very uh, different sort of emotional landscape. If in the finance world and uh, late aughts, uh, early 2010s, was a little bit distraught. People were just coming off the Great Recession and people were super scared for their jobs. The industry was being commoditized. Uh, abundance of money was around. And then in technology in, in the Bay Area, it was a completely different landscape. 
Everyone was happy. Everyone was raising money. Everyone <laughs> just came out. Every, opportunities were growing on trees, uh, so to say. So I decided to move to leave the dark, <laughs> the dark uh, side of, of Wall Street and, and join the technology boom here in the Bay Area. A couple of jobs later, I found myself at a company called Upwork. It's a marketplace for freelancers. That's that's how we maybe yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, yeah so yeah. Upwork at the time was pre-public, merged uh, two predecessor companies just merged. We we're going through a very interesting and promising merger, kind of getting started to to do this uh, all pre-IPO song and dance. And this opportunity came uh, about five years ago to join a much smaller B2B company uh, coming off Series C uh, called Pantheon. Just over $15 million in annual recurring revenue, uh, 70 people or so, uh, but I had the opportunity to take over the entire finance group, uh, finance, accounting, data, pricing, analytics, even legal. So everything I could dream about and uh, as, a, as a finance leader and be able to, to participate in building, in building this, this company. So now five years later, uh, we, are, uh, we are sort of classified as pre-IPO, now a unicorn, just raised $100 million from SoftBank, and it's a 400-person company. So uh, just really enjoyed and, and was lucky to, to take the job and that somebody gave me the opportunity to, to take that on at, at Pantheon. I'm looking forward to the next part of the journey. Yeah, it's got to be so rewarding because five years is a long time in kind of operational finance, you know, to be at one company. Like you look back, I mean, is it just incredibly rewarding to see the growth from 70 to 400 people? Like that, that's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The company has changed so much. We've up-leveled each other. We have maintained some of the culture or most of the culture, but the level at which uh, all of the execs operate with each other, our teams operate, the way people are empowered, the uh, problems we solve day to day, everything is so, so different. And it's an incredibly rewarding to, I can't even imagine <laughs> what's going to happen. In the next yeah. Years. yeah, that's awesome. Now, are you still running all finance, all legal, or is it legal broken up or broken out from your function? Or how, yeah. how, is, the, how is the job structured now? No, thankfully, legal is for, for the sake of everyone involved. We have a GC, the GC as customer reports to the CEO. But, yeah. you know, the, the expansion came from more in-depth work, different kinds of work. So I still obviously have, um, well, the new part is Corp Dev and Strategy. There is FPNA, strategic finance, now broken up. Obviously, you know all of the accounting features, some of the some of the finance yep, yep. systems, um, and analytics is a completely different organization now. With uh, yeah. a, a whole lot more, we're with all a whole lot more gravitas and influence over the organization. So there's now actually yeah. things to analyze and predict at scale, and that's and more people to who rely on the data that that we are able to gather and uh, analyze and make uh, actual decisions on. Yeah, that's amazing. So, I mean, I think the job of a CFO at a later stage company is the two things probably, keep the trains rolling on time, keep things from breaking. But then the second aspect is how to fuel the company's growth and be a partner with the rest of the management team. like. What's kind of your overall strategy when you come to work every day about how to do? Probably, let's focus on the growth for now, and then we can come back to the keeping the trains running yeah. on time. 
but like how do you how do you help propel this company forward to an ipo someday so the way i started to think about the world at some point through this five-year journey is i outline uh, the vision of of the team and and so the way i kind of three things that i took out the three things that are most important to to us is one or to my team one is to figure out what are the strategic objectives of the company we know the mission we know the vision but those are you know five ten years or perpetual duration yeah now we need to figure out okay what is the two to three year strategy and this is where it all starts for finance this is where my team needs to be the critical part of ideating this and making sure this is achievable this is well understood this is aligned with product strategy this is aligned with go-to-market strategy but this is this two to three year like actual strategy is part of what my team needs to drive and i'll go in a second what strategy to me is yeah but this is kind of the one bucket the second bucket is making sure that the company as a whole all the teams within the company operate cohesively so people are working quarter to quarter to accomplish the same goals yep that makes sense it's interesting as a finance leader that you you take your your own you're taking responsibility for all those groups working together. Cause that's not all finance leaders think about that. Sometimes finance leaders think about just I'm the numbers person or that, but it's, it's really great that you're kind of taking emotional responsibility yeah. for everyone getting along and working well together. Make no mistake. I'm also a numbers person. <laughs> yes, I, every, so we have a number, everybody in the company is an expert and potentially the best at what they do, but it's the job of the finance as a sort of centralized organization to make sure that resources are allocated in a way that these people do the best that they can do and everybody yep. is moving in the same direction. Yep. And then yep. they're empowered and have the tools and information to do their jobs in the best and in the most aligned way. So one is let's have the strategy, then let's all make sure we work together to achieve that strategy. And then the yep. third part is closer to traditional finance, I would say, is that we do all of those things at an acceptable and agreed upon level of risk. That we are not being too conservative, but also we are not, you know, betting the house on something that's a moonshot and has, you know, 1% of the likelihood of being successful. Unless that's what the investors want you to do. Yeah. But the, the not being too conservative is a great point because especially if you're trying to get to an IPO, you're kind of like threading the needle in a way because you can't you don't want the company to blow up or bet too much like you're talking about. But sometimes companies are actually too conservative, but to post those growth rates that IPO investors want to see, you got to be doing something very, very well and really kind of pushing the envelope. So that's that's an interesting point there too, like not being too conservative. But that goes also to the point of deciding on the IPO timing. Yep. The IPO yep. timing should depend to a significant degree to the level of readiness as determined by how much risk you want to take on in the development mm-hmm. and growth of your firm. Because it's obviously harder to take on greater risks with your product, with your go-to-market strategy, with all of those things, if you are under the microscope of quarterly earnings. So you want to get the most riskiest part of your strategy out of the way, assuming that you have funds in the private markets, 
but but then you want to go public for the right reasons and you don't want the sort of the corporate structure of the company to dictate your growth strategy if you can afford it. I totally agree. And also like I used to work in investment banking before I went to Lighthouse and did venture debt. And the worst thing that can happen to a company when they go public is to miss that first quarter or the okay. second quarter. Yes. It's almost like you can't recover from that as yeah, a business yeah. because all the institutional owners, the fidelities, the you know, all those type of folks just sell. They're in the penalty like box they're, for they're years like, and years and years. Yeah, yeah. So I think you're making a really good point about like kind of working out the kinks, getting the growth foundation all set up and having kind of a clear runway to hit your numbers post IPO. That's when you want to do the IPO, not when you're still kind of cha maybe changing your business or introducing a new product or whatever it is. Exactly. Or pivoting or creating a category yeah. Yeah. or doing something that you are not, yeah. you have high, very high confidence in. So, so those three things back to kind of my, my mission as a finance team, develop the strategy that's aligned with the vision, mission vision, making sure that there's environment to operate cohesively and doing it at the right level of risk. So now I just wanted to talk about what is strategy. That's the biggest thing up to debate. Not that I am um, some sort of a guru from HBS. I'm not. But I've decided to kind of narrow this down. What does strategy mean for myself and for my team in the context of growing the company? There are a few things that, that I like to study and I like to bring to the table in those conversations. They may sound simple, but when you actually do the work and put all of them together... Frequently, it's eye-opening, and it then enables to do everything that's downstream. So first is, for the company, in the context of your mission, what is the value you create as a company with your product? Specifically, what is the value? Then the second question is, for whom is this value created and in which and for which use cases? Yep. Yep. Third one is how you monetize this value. And then uh, finally is how you're differentiated from people who are trying to do the same thing. Yep, yep. I'm actually, uh, it's a great exercise because I'm going in my head about cruise consulting and answering all four of those questions. Yep. So it's, it's, it's actually a really, and it is like kind of your North Star uh, as a company of like, who are, we, who are we helping? Exactly how are we helping? How are we monetizing that? Right. You know, like that, that's a really good framework right. for thinking about this. Hey, it's Scott Orn, and we're going to take a quick break from the podcast to give a shout out to the cruise tax team. Gosh, it's so nice to have an in-house tax team. I can't even tell you. Uh, we have some really amazing professionals on the team. It's over, I think it's 13 people now. And we do everything from your federal state income tax return, state franchise tax filings, R&D tax credits. Those are pretty popular these days. And guess what? They're there for you when you go through diligence a lot of people don't know this, but you actually go through tax diligence, not just operational kind of financial diligence, but you do go through tax diligence. So it's nice to have Vanessa Cruz on the phone with your VCs and with the accounting firm they hired to diligence all your stuff and the law firm they hired to diligence all your stuff. Vanessa knows what she's doing. She's done this a million times. And, uh, and not, it's not just Vanessa. We have a really great team of tax professionals that will do those calls too. It's, it's kind of sometimes the difference between getting around closed or having it take another two weeks because something was disorganized and the tax compliance wasn't done correctly. We hear those horror stories 
from clients that come to us. So, hey, if you want Cruise's tax team on your side, we're here for you. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. Thanks. So it's almost like you have a strategic offsite in August and you need to have four decks answering each one of those questions. That is your table stakes. This is your, this is your conversation. Like this is how yep. finance world starts. And if you have those, then everything downstream becomes significantly easier a to do and to brainstorm yep. and B to align everybody else around. That last part about the alignment, I think is a really good point too, because especially when it's written or a presentation that everyone can attend and watch and listen to it preemptively answers a lot of questions for the team and people can kind of self-check like no matter what organization they're in the finance organization, marketing organization, R and D organization, they can kind of like think about, well, am I actually contributing to the success of our customers and creating value and ultimately getting paid for that value? If I'm not, I probably, I'm probably doing something wrong or something's off and we need to talk about it. So I, I really like making these things public. And, they, and talking it through with everybody. And they serve as guardrails for what yeah, people totally, can do. Totally. And this is also, the, here's the critical moment. This is, you're not making decisions for people. Because all of these people in the company are much better at what they do than you are. But this is how you yep. influence people to do yep. the thing that's meant to accomplish the same North Star for everybody. And then everybody gets to do them the best way they can, which is hopefully the best way anybody can. I like it. Well, and, and they may have feedback for you as, as a, someone told me one time that, um, it was actually one of my business school professors who's a, was an innovation consultant. And he said, one of the first people he interviews every time he goes into a company, he does like fortune 500 companies, yep. he interviews the finance team. And he said, the reason why is finance people are very good at abstraction and they understand all the different aspects of the company. And they also follow the money through the company. And so sometimes they are like the most innovative and most plugged into the corporate structure and, and all the stuff you're talking about. So I, I think I, I really like where you're going with this. This is really smart. Right. So it's almost by definition, finance team has the view over the whole business. This is where everything yeah. comes together. Yeah. This is where resources exactly. are allocated. This is where you know what drives different revenue streams. And what yep. has been tried, not tried, you also see where people are not collaborating with each other. That's correctly. totally true. And what's not working. And what's not working. Exactly. So it's the finance team and the CEO, hopefully. But CEO may have a much higher view of this, depending yep. on the company. Well, in any case, so those things are aligned. You have the strategy that's still kind of two to three years. Then as a finance professional, the finance team, you still need to make sure that there are enough resources in the organization to execute on all of those. So the yep. cap table vision, the fundraising vision, the runway versus the burn, like all of those things kind of fall on you. And this is also where uh, the risk consideration comes in. Yep. Uh, do you want to be well-funded for next 10 years and be profitable, but grow slower? Or do you want to take risks every two years and bet it all on you know, a feature that may work out so handsomely that Jeff Bezos will be really poor? <laughs> What's the buy yeah, So yeah. that is really yeah. driven by the, the finance with an input from the board 
and also given the board investor board profile. It's different. On those things about like the burn rate and fundraising and, you know, the revenue drivers, how often are you checking in with the CEO and the rest of the manage, the exec, executive team? And how often are you checking in with the board? Is it every board meeting or is it more often than that? Like how does I, cause I've never been a late stage CFO. Like I actually don't know the answer to this. Like what's the, what's the messaging? What's the keeping people in the loop? Uh, process. You know, we have all been spoiled in the last five, six years by the abundance of private capital. Totally. So totally. we quarterly is the regular cadence, and this is this goes for the CEO, the executive team, and the board. But the, the, the conversation is because of this abundance of capital and our track record as a company. The conversation is easier than it would be if we were a cash-strapped business in 2008. I was, yep, I was, yep, I was yep, on the yep. investor side. In 2008, I was in the private equity firm. That was a very different conversation with our portfolio companies than I'm having now on this side of the table with my investors. So that, And you guys have a lot of momentum yeah. and probably people are throwing, you know, IPO-style valuations at you but raising the money privately. So you've kind of, you're having your cake and eating it too right now. The focus is very much on growth. The focus is yeah, very much yeah. on developing the product innovation that yep, um, yep. that we believe in. So the focus yep. is that. And when the board over the last five years of working with me, it has confidence that they are not going to get a surprise. Keeping fingers crossed, but they haven't, yeah, 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 they yeah, haven't yeah, surprised yeah. them yet. Um, but that's an important, maybe talk about that for a second. Like that's an important, the establishing your credibility as a CFO is super important because those people have to know they can count on you. They've marked up their portfolio. They're talking about you to their limited partners and saying what a great company Pantheon is or whatever company, you know, if it's a different company you're working at, like, how do you maintain that trust and credibility with them? One word forecast. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and can you say a few words about your forecasting <laughs> technique of like reforecasting often or yeah, we, we give them a once forecast. a year? We, you know, how do you do it? A forecast every three months, every quarterly meeting. Um, the at this stage we're in a public, so I don't have to forecast it to the penny. The yeah. idea is to understand the drivers and to be able yep. to look back and see what has worked and what hasn't worked. Right. And so it's not actually that important that you said you will deliver $75 million and you delivered 74.9 because one driver could have doubled and the other driver could have halved. And the, you know, mathematically obviously doesn't cancel each other. But, you know, like you need to understand what worked and what didn't and how to unpack it and arrive to this conclusion. So giving the board the confidence that you understand the drivers and can predict this you know some way out if those if both of those things work great but if yeah. the under, it's the understanding of the drivers that is uh, fairly inspiring for for that cohort and, uh, and when you're talking to those board members and talking about the drivers are you giving them kind of a look underneath the hood of the car and saying like hey our, our direct business, I'm just, I don't know your business well enough, but like direct has been amazing. Actually that doubled 
our channel relationships aren't performing like we used to have them perform. We got to figure out how to fix that. Like, is that the kind of commentary you're giving them? That style? Yeah, that's, stuff? Yeah, that's the kind of commentary you're giving them. The art is to give just enough and not more, not less, but just enough to have a productive consultative, consultative discussion with them. Yep. If giving them too much, they can't give you meaningful feedback. They can just yep, yep, say, yep, okay, yep. that's working, that's not working. But nothing that I don't know. Yeah, if you yeah, don't yeah. give them enough, they also can give you any sort of meaningful feedback. Yeah. But if you, for example, paint it in, in the way you just described it, something works, but this channel is not working, you can actually start having a strategic conversation about channel. Like what has changed in the ecosystem? Is it the competition that is enroaching on your partners? Are your partners going out of business? Are you not providing them enough margin? Is it is this particular business becoming less profitable? So you can engage in this type of a conversation, and that is what you want. I love it. I love it. That's really cool. And, and you're doing that at the board meeting, or are you doing it before, or doing it in separate check-ins, or how how are you delivering those messages? We're doing it at the, at the board yeah. meetings. Yeah, we we don't have check-ins. I'm sure my CEO has more check-ins yeah, 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 than yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah, but. The, the board meetings are a great way for the entire executive team to get uh, you know, at the same table with the entire board. And the board, if well-constructed, can provide different viewpoints. Yep. So now the board, somebody is more financially-minded, somebody is more sales and marketing-minded, somebody is more customer-focused-minded. So we can get all of those viewpoints on the same issue that we have identified. I love it. And if we give them enough information, then the conversation actually flows. That's really awesome. As opposed to just being, okay, this is good, this is not yeah. good, but I know. I love it. I love it. And then on the fundraising side, are they, I mean, those people have their pulse on the fundraising market better than even like, you know, CEO, CFO, because they're, look at the, are they giving yes. you, you know, constructive feedback of like, hey, Mark, you, you nailed your numbers again, might want to think about raising capital or, hey, the, the numbers are looking good. I can see the upward swing. Should we start writing an S1 right now? Like how 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 active are they on the feedback? Very active. Yes, yes. That's yeah. Yes, very active. All I can do in t looking inwards is to determine the risk tolerance, but without understanding the outside factors. Yep. I can, I can calculate and do scenario analysis on, on hypothetical burn. Yep. If we succeed, if sales and marketing increases and we're doing well, which could actually mean we burn more money, or if sales and marketing is not doing well, product does not resonate, and maybe we need to do a little bit of a risk and then you know, kind of run different scenarios and say, okay, we have funding for between six and nine months yep. or you know, 18 and yep. 24 months, something like that. But the board can come in and say, well, the external environment is such that maybe you do want to wait a little bit more, or maybe the external environment is such that doesn't matter what your risk tolerance is, you need to raise now totally. because it's not going to be better. But this outside in perspective that I just don't have the time to develop because I'm running the business. Yeah. Uh, so, so they engage very actively and it's super helpful. How do you handle it when like another member of the executive team, like the VP of marketing or the VP of R&D comes to you and says like, Mark, our, our marketing performance is amazing. Like I need more budget. Give me more money, Mark. Loosen up the purse strings. Like how do you, how does that conversation go? How do you get to a a resolution with that executive? Like what's the process there? Well, my first process is to think, okay, well, 
how will this impact the entire company? Yep. So yes, I can give you marketing, I can give you more budget to generate more leads, but do we have enough people in sales mm. to take care of mm. all those leads? Do we have enough people to support in support to ensure that we can migrate all of those yeah. customers? Yep. So at first I want to understand is what else around the company will have to do. And then it's the question, well, is this consistent with the strategy of the company as aligned on those first, first initial kind of strategy decks? Um, and you know, if it's not aligned, maybe it's time to revisit the strategy. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe the strategy is incorrect. Maybe we assume the product A will resonate, but all of a sudden it's the product B that everybody is calling yeah. us about. So this is where the work starts and I need to do it quickly because now I'm holding up the whole company. But you're doing, right? but, you're doing that operational check-in and operational diagnostic to make sure the, co the company as a whole can handle it and checking out yes. any of the weak spots in the company that needs to be bolstered before right. you, you turn the spigot on. Right. And is it consistent with what we, all of us have decided yeah. to do yeah. over the course of the next 12 to 24 yeah. months? I love it. And hopefully it is, yeah. right? And hopefully we can deploy more capital. Hopefully, you know, marketing just found a new avenue to find leads, but sales has been, you know, pulling their thumbs and maybe they're under capacity. Okay, well then that's a fairly that's an easier conversation. Yeah. But there's still but there but there's still downstream impacts. Like you found something, like what have you changed? Is it a specific product? What has, like, do we have to deploy more resources into developing something specific that all those people are calling for? Has our ideal customer profile changed? Like, have we opened up a new geography? Maybe we need to put reps in this new geography. Yep. Have we opened up a new industry? And this industry requires a new certificate that we need to procure. Yep. To, like, yep. is, like, is finance calling us all of a sudden? Well, does that mean we need to you know, get some sort of, uh, you know, compliance, new compliance certificate to open this even more. So this is, and this is the job of the finance function. This is this alignment of all the groups because we have the view of what, of who does what. Yeah, I love it. I love the way uh, you're thinking about it strategically. It's not just numbers, it's actual people. And what I keep hearing you say over and over again is, is it what we agreed on? Is it what we all thought was best for the company over time? And is it consistent with our strategy? Right. Which is which is beautiful, you know, because it's not. And if the answer is no, maybe we made the wrong call. But then everybody needs to get back in the room yeah. and change the call. And then everybody changes at the same yeah. time. Some of it is obviously visionary. I'm not successful 100% of the time. <laughs> and this alignment still happens. And surprises still happen. And we, we got to wrap up pretty soon. But how? talk about that for a second. Like, you're not a visionary. None of us are perfect. You've given marketing too much money or given R&D too much money. Or how do you kind of rein it back in if it's not producing? Like, how do you have those conversations? If the partners are invested in the success of the entire company and the data is clear it's an it's not a tough conversation mm. the conversation and then the conversation is not stop doing this you are wasting resources the conversation should always be let's reallocate it to something that's yeah. better yeah, 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 yeah. that's the conversation that everyone loves to yep. have you're helping them deploy capital where it works yep opposed to starving them of capital that they may think is better than not doing yep 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 i love it i love it so you have that conversation and you point to data and if they're bought into the company vision and long time long-term thinkers 
not too hard. And, the strategy, and again, if they're bought in into the strategy that we've identified that this is what we need to do in the next two to three yeah. years, it becomes an easier conversation if it's like not this, but yeah. that. I love it. I love it. Oh man. Well, this has been, this is amazing. feels like we've been talking for five minutes. We've been talking for 30 minutes. You are, uh, maybe we need to have you back and talk about some, uh, some more stuff here or some more operational stuff. Anytime you're asking fantastic yeah, questions. Thanks, I love it. Well, do you want to just kind of finish up here and let everyone know how they can find pa Pantheon if they want to work with Pantheon or it's a, it's a web ops company, like maybe, maybe give a little plug for your company here before we go. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. And we're always looking for top talent, especially in finance and in all all of the areas that could help me drive this alignment. So um, very uh, love talking to fantastic people in all stages of their careers. Feel free, your uh, guests should uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, Pantheon is, is a web ops platform. We built a set of tools and infrastructure to help teams manage portfolios of websites. So we're solving this age-old problem where it takes a village to build a website and maintain and make it agile and reactive to market environment. The village has marketers, content managers, designers, developers, engineers, security personnel, and many other functions. It's very hard for them to collaborate in time to make changes that are meaningful and relevant to the marketplace. And if they don't, the business results of the website suffer. I love it. And the CMOs can't produce what their objectives I think are. Most it's this most. actually corresponds exactly with the way you talk about your company strategy and the finance function, like the data makes smart decisions, long-term thinking. I, I love it. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for coming by and we'll have to have you on again. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Scott. Always a pleasure. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise founders and friends. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Old.